from the Red Shoe Institute. This is Touch Base Tuesdays, sharing life-changing stories and advice to help military families with all phases of deployment. And now, here's your host, founder of the Red Shoe Institute, Dr. Margarita Gurry. Well, welcome to Touch Base Tuesdays. This is Dr. Margarita Gurry with Red Shoe Radio, and thanks for tuning in and touching base. And I'm especially excited because I have one of my very favorite people in all the world with us today to kick off the first online Touch Base Tuesdays, Lieutenant Colonel Todd Riddle. I met him uh, just this past year at a Yellow Ribbon event, and he knocked my socks off. He's a combat decorated fighter pilot, an accomplished speaker. He's a good man. My father used to say that the highest achievement any man could achieve is to be a good man. He is that. And he's also just adorable. Great energy. Um, welcome, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. How are you today? I'm great. How could you not be great after a flattering introduction like that? It's good to talk with you again, I'm Dr. Sure Margarita. I'm sure your mother, wife, and grandmother agree with me that you're adorable. Do they not? Yeah, all, all three of you, yes. <laughs> Well, we're starting the fan club. And listeners, you can chime in anytime. Um, so please tell us a little bit about yourself. And the first thing I wanted you to get started is I read that your, your nickname or call sign is the Riddler. Could you please explain to us how you got that and what does it mean to have a call sign? Oh, sure. So in the military, when you fly fighter jets, um, when you finish all of your training to the point to where you're considered combat mission ready, it's kind of a rite of passage that the fraternity of arms, the, the guys you fly jets with, come up with a nickname for you and a call sign for you. And uh, it's, a, it's a formal ritual that involves lots of uh, alcohol and indecent types of things, but <laughs> it means a great deal for those of us. It's kind of your rite of passage of sorts. And uh, my nickname growing up as a kid was Riddler. And uh, I had actually been bestowed a different one, and then following some combat sorties in Iraq, I was rechristened Riddler. And one additional thing to that is that they give you a little RMO. We call it round metal object. We don't say coin, a coin uh, that says, hey, you've, you've made it. You're, you're one of us, essentially. So uh, that, that's what my call sign is, just kind of a, a copy off of what I was called when I was younger and a, a tag on to my last name. Well, that's wonderful. Um, I know you asked me to call you the Riddler, but I or Riddler, but I can't. So I'm going to be calling you Lieutenant Colonel. I I so respect your rank. Now, please tell us a little bit about your background. Well, sure. I was uh, raised here in the Midwest and uh, went to high school in Nebraska and had an opportunity to uh, go to the Air Force Academy for a time and had a few shoulder reconstructs and bounced around a little bit and then started uh, flying jets for the Air Force in 1999. So I got uh, commissioned in 1998 and uh, did some pilot training there in Texas and then had my first assignment flying A-10s, the Warthog, which is a, a close air support platform where designed to fly uh, low to the ground to be able to put munitions and bombs in close proximity to friendly troops. Uh, so I flew my first assignment there at Pope Air Force Base out near Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Had an opportunity to parachute with the 82nd Airborne there for about two and a half years and uh, was fortunate enough to be there at the outset of Operation Enduring Freedom there at Bagram and right, turned around and went right back to Iraq at the outset of Iraqi Freedom in the February of 2003. Uh, then transitioned to the T-38, moved back to Texas and was an instructor pilot there for four years, and then returned here to Whiteman Air Force Base uh, outside of Kansas City by about 45 minutes. 
uh, where I'm part of the 442nd Fighter Wing, and I'm an A-10C instructor pilot here. Wow. Well, I want to thank you for your service. Um, uh, you know that I came to this country from Cuba as a refugee, and so I always very much appreciate the freedom that those very few percent in this United States uh, works hard and sacrifices for our freedom. So thank you, sir. Well, thank um, you for that. That's kind of you. Well, sure, sure. I, I, I appreciate being able to say what I want to say and do what I want to do because I'm an American. Um, now, the combat decorations, um, I don't really understand, you know, the medals and all that kind of stuff. Could you please explain to me a little bit about these medals that I researched and found about you on the Internet? Well, sure. Uh, and as I, as I sit here in my office and talk to you about this, obviously the bigger part of my life that we're going to talk to is, is my family. So I have a, a beautiful wife, Sarah, and three wonderful kids, Jenna, Jake, and Trevor. And my daughter just finished fifth grade yesterday, and we had nine little girls at our house for a sleepover. And uh, they are really kind of the drive of my life and, and have made it possible for me to have the chance to do fun things for a career. You know, I'm blessed for the chance to fly airplanes. So the combat decorations, what we call uh, an individual mission uh, or a sortie, uh, is something we'll fly uh, either into a combat arena or take off from that country and fly a combat sortie there. And those can uh, you can earn these air medals via an accumulation of a number of sorties where you earn certain points, or you can get individual air medals for significant individual missions. And I'm lucky enough to have uh, a number of those from both types of sorties, an individual one as well as accumulations of points. All right. Well, that's really cool. And um, I believe, and I believe that the listeners would have believed that you also deserve a medal for having all those little girls at a sleepover. Congratulations. <laughs> we survived. You survived. The house, the house didn't the go truth. untouched, but we lived. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on that. I raised a few kids myself, so I know how that goes. <laughs> all right. So now, the main reason I picked you, besides the fact that I just think you're You've got the heart. You've got the sense of duty and honor. I love that when I asked you about your medals, you talked about your family first. That's just really a great priority. So when I heard you speak, you talked about your three-legged stool of deployment readiness. And um, please speak to that because I thought that was a brilliant way for any family in the military or any family advancing, you know, with any transition. Um, I think it was a great way for them to be able to sort out their thoughts and behavior. Well, well, certainly, and I, I think for military members and for the families that might support a deploying military member, whether that be parents or uh, wives or uh, boyfriends or girlfriends, uh, it's just a manner that we can kind of try and grasp and, and conceptualize how are we approaching the challenges, the inevitable hardships that come with a deployment. So I'd come across a quote uh, from Satchel Paige. He was a Hall of Fame pitcher in the Negro Leagues right here in the Kansas City. He played for the Monarchs and uh, has got a fabulous history. He's kind of a an interesting character and had some wonderful quotes. And one of the quotes that I read from him was that he said, you know, you should work like you don't need the money, love like you've never been hurt, and dance like nobody's watching. And for some reason it had occurred to me that those three elements of our lives, the work, the relationships, and our sense of joy and contentment, kind of make a three-legged stool of sorts for the balance of our own lives. And uh, inevitably, life, whether it be deployment or just the natural happenstance of things, that stool is going to be imbalanced. Uh, and as we look at that stool of our own lives, the challenge for each of us to embrace is do we choose to grapple with the imbalance of that stool and dedicate time or intentional resources 
to try and balance that thing again. Now, each of those legs aren't equal in our sense of time or resources. They're equal in how they fit with one another and how balanced your life is. So simply by, de- by definition, if you are deploying, the work element of that three-legged stool gets inordinately long and large. And the, the relationship leg of that stool is obviously going to suffer some degree of a trauma of some sort, as would your dance or contentment or hobby leg. Uh, and again, the challenge that we have to embrace is understanding that how do we anticipate it, how do we prepare for it, how do we try and recover from that upon our return. And uh, the balance of those things is a manner in which we try and look at, all right, approaching this deployment, what kind of decisions do we make for, for success, really, for ourselves and for our family? Wow. And how many deployments have you and your family been through together? Uh, four. I've been through four. Four. Oh. Wow. And so what advice would you give to the listeners um, on dealing with that three-legged stool so that they have the ability to make each deployment a blessing? Well, there's a number of things that we continue to learn. We, my wife and I, we certainly don't have this figured out. In our fourth deployment there just a couple of years ago, it became clear to us that each deployment kind of takes on a, a character and a personality of its own. You know, we're in a different life stage at each event. And simply because we've deployed previously doesn't mean that this one is going to be a piece of cake. And that was kind of uh, a surprise to us. We had thought, you know, we've kind of got this figured out. There shouldn't be that many challenges. So regardless of whether you're the deploying member or a supporting family member or simply a friend or a relative, uh, understanding that the imbalance of that stool is going to affect all of us is important. So one of the key things, I think, is that you are communicating, whether you hope to or not, as the deploying member, that work is very important. The leg of that stool is going to get very long, uh, and that communicates a message to a wife or to kids or to parents that work is extremely important because it's taking you away. So what do we do to try and let them know that work is not more important than my marriage or work is not more important than my relationship with my kids? Uh, And there's a number of strategies that we try and embrace, not to simply magically make the hardship go away, uh, but to make it more tenable and sustainable over a long term. So can you give me an example of something that you and your wife worked out with a three-legged stool uh, during the process of getting ready for deployment and then during deployment and then getting ready to come back and then actually kind of getting used to each other again when you came back? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, as I'm preparing to deploy, you know, you're going through a number of those emotions. There's that kind of that anticipation of someone leaving and, uh, you know, the you begin to step away. I'm slightly distracted by the busyness of work and knowing what's ahead of me. And my wife kind of starts to put on this emotional armor of sorts to get herself in, in single mom mode. And that doesn't necessarily give the most intimate feeling right before you're about to leave. But we, we know that's about to happen. Hopefully we can anticipate that. And uh, I begin to feel a degree of guilt before I leave. I know that my life, although it will be extremely busy, is going to get more simple. You know, I'm going to get to fly jets, lift weights, sleep, fly jets, eat breakfast, sleep, you know, find a good reason not to go to the gym. Uh, But (laughs) the things I do will become much more narrow. While for my wife, life will become infinitely more complex. 
So I cheat. I call her friends and her girlfriends because I think sometimes spouses or girlfriends or loved ones at home uh, isolate themselves in a little bit of a survivor mode. And I know that she wouldn't reach out uh, and ask for help a whole lot. But I may call her friends and say, hey, would you call her on a Tuesday uh, and just go have some coffee and see how she's doing on my behalf while I'm gone? That's that's some manner which I can try and communicate relationship to her. And then I buy stacks of cards and I fill them out as I fly across the country and I drop them in the mail and send them back to my wife and to my kids. And I'll pick random dates on a calendar for pro flowers to deliver flowers to my wife or to my daughter at school. That's very important for her to know that I love her in front of her friends. I'm not not sure why that's as significant, but it's much more important for her to be able to receive those in front of her classmates. And uh, when I forget the dates, you know, it's a wonderful surprise for them and then for me because obviously I've forgotten about (laughs) it. And... uh, we we try and find something to plan ahead to. I would encourage military members to don't be a cheapskate during this time. If if you can split a plane ticket for a girlfriend to come visit your spouse or a mother-in-law come visit, you know, that's a perfect time for a mother-in-law to visit and support her because I don't happen to be there. It's something that they can enjoy together. Uh, those are resources that I want to try and invest to say that I know that your life is challenging and difficult when I'm away, and I want to do the best I can to help with that. Obviously, there's an infinite list of practical things. You know, get the oil changed and the tires rotated before you go. Talk to four friends about mowing your grass or scooping the snow before you're gone. Um, You know, the fear of the unknowns for where do you cut off the water, where do you turn off the gas, who's taking care of the bills. You know, being able to itemize those things takes the fear and the stigma of not being certain uh, away from that. Those are some of our pre-deployment strategies. All of this down in a manual? No, no, far. Uh, I'm, I'm much more haphazard than that. It's just what hap- what I happen to remember at the day. She's the organized one. All right. Well, she sounds wonderful. Every single time I've talked to you, you've mentioned her. So mm-hmm. we want everyone to give send out a great shout out to your wife. What is what was her name? Sarah. 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 All right. We give a great shout out to Sarah because obviously, you know, behind every great person is a great partner and. Uh, you seem to be pretty great, and so does she. That's wonderful. Um, what does your daughter, um, the oldest one, think about you being gone on purpose? It's becoming more difficult. And, uh, you know, the first time I deployed, my wife was three months pregnant with our first, and I had returned, and we we had a newborn, and that was a difficult deployment back to Iraq in early '03. We didn't know how long that deployment was going to be, and we're leaving her with a newborn. And uh, it's we're noticing that it's becoming more challenging for the children as uh, my daughter's kind of going through some formative years, you know, 11, uh, 12, you know, approaching junior high age. Um, I think it's important for me to try and be present, and we do Skype and and things like that. But she's very clear that you know she misses me, and that's a difficult challenge. But um, I think they have grown up with a healthy respect for what I am able to do or what I am blessed to have the opportunity to do. Uh, my wife doesn't speak disparagingly about uh, my work or my deployments. You know, my eight-year-old son thinks it's the best job in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and I... And for your I, wife. Well, I just got my son's journal back from school. He just finished his second grade, and he had a chapter in his journal on my hero. 
and it was I was blessed for it to be me. But he'd written in there that my dad has killed lots of bad guys, and he's good at his job. <laughs> We're not sure what his second grade teacher thought of that, but uh, <laughs> as far as approaching a deployment, he understands that it's important, but it's not more important than my kids. Well, clearly, you've, you've, you've made that statement clearly over and over again. We have one of the uh, listeners moving forward. Uh, welcome, Moving Forward. Moving Forward has weighed in on the chat, the blog talk radio chat. It says, God bless our troops. Get home soon, Dad. But had a question. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, are you still active duty is the question for Moving Forward. Oh, great question. Now, I'm a full-time reservist, so I was active duty for about 10 years, um, but right now I'm called an ART, an Air Reserve Technician, where my full-time job is still flying A-10s and being an instructor pilot here. Uh, I also happen to be the Inspector General, um, but I'm, I'm a part of Air Force Reserve Command. I'm not active duty. Now, when we deploy, uh, you're placed on active orders. Okay. Do you have uh, deployments in your future? Um, right now, they're kind of re-scrambling the schedule, so uh, I'm not currently scheduled for one in the next uh, 12 months that I see. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure what changes will happen, and obviously a lot of that will depend on the elections currently going on in Afghanistan and what their security capability is and how self-sustaining they can be. Yes, that's so true. You know, I'm a, I'm a psychologist in private practice for many years now. And one of the things that I've learned from my practice and from doing yellow ribbon events is that when someone goes away, they come back, only 90% of them comes back from each deployment. And when they finally know they don't have a deployment, then they can begin to recapture that part of them that they left over in Iraq or wherever, Kuwait, wherever they have been. Um, do you find that that observation fits what you and your wife have experienced? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I would say that that was quite true of uh, one of my first two deployments, probably the first one and second one. Uh, given the intensity uh, of those deployments, there was quite a lot of what, what I'd call kinetic uh, activity, right? So we're, the, we're being shot at. I'm dropping a lot of bombs. We're shooting a lot of bullets. Um, it's a rather fevered pitch of, of flying, and um, you're doing a lot of great things that you've been trained to do, but the intensity of that was quite high. Uh, and you'll see that with airmen coming home and soldiers coming home buying, you know, large motorcycles that go too fast. And uh, there's, it's featured even some movies. You know, the adjustment to return back to normal state life, day-to-day -day things, uh, I think makes it difficult to put the same priority on being back here, given the perspective of what you've seen in other places. Uh, I think I did experience that. I, I can remember vividly uh, uh, some conversations about that following uh, my return from Iraqi freedom. Uh, as for me, now the intensity for other individuals has remained the same, and it's still it's still like that. It's still quite busy in a number of places, but uh, it hasn't been the same for me uh, for the last two deployments. All right, so... One of the thoughts I had is there's, there's some controversy about whether um, our service members in the Reserve and Guard are more at risk from a variety of things, whether it's depression or suicide or post-combat risk-taking, uh, PTSD, all of those things when they come back. Um, do you believe that that is true, that they're more at risk when they return home? 
You know, I'm not sure how to answer that other than what, you know, you've seen anecdotally, you know. I know they designed Yellow Ribbon by they, that Congress had designed the Yellow Ribbon program to support Guard and Reserve members who, you know, might not be located right in near proximity to their own base where they just kind of bounce in and out of a couple of um, military, you know, operations or organizations. I think the stress level for them it would be difficult to match, you know. One of the common phrases we hear from the guys here is not only am I good enough to do my job here in the military, I also work another job. So you kind of balance the complexity of being good at two different workplaces, keeping two different workplaces happy, uh, with really the persistence of this war. You know, I first got to Bagram in May of 2002. That's quite a demand over a long period of time to place on guard and reservists uh, to juggle all of those various things. And, um, you know, incidences of stress, you know, persist over time, and multiple deployments have different dynamics than a first and single and only deployment. And the reserve and guard sure has changed over the last few years. It, it's not only – it used to be a weekend a month or whatever it was, and it sure has changed, hasn't it? No, absolutely, absolutely. Even yeah. in my – I've been a reservist for six years, and it, it has moved a long ways uh, in those we six have. years towards and you know, the leadership. We, well, and where would we be without the reserve and guard? I mean, goodness. So we have a new caller um, uh, hanging in there, and um, – this is uh, Dr. Margarita, and you're listening to Touch Base Tuesdays on Red Shoe Radio. And we are happily talking to Lieutenant Colonel Todd Riddle, uh, whose call uh, sign is the Riddler. Um, and he's been very modest about sharing his uh, theory, the three-legged stool of, um, of deployment resilience. Um, caller, did you, did you want to uh, say something at this time? The, I see the 202 area code. No? Silence is also good. Um, so we're beginning to wind down again, um, and, and maybe in some ways that mirrors people's thinking that the war is winding down. What do you think is the good advice for the three-legged stool um, now that this country is facing an uncertainty as to whether we're really winding down or not? What, what advice do you give to military families so that they can stay strong and healthy and happy? Well, it's, it's certainly a difficult time, you know, as we talked about the persistence of that war over time. As I look at Satchel's stool, you know, he talked about work and relationships. One of the legs of the stool he talked about was dance like nobody's watching. That's that sense of contentment or joy or happiness. What hobby do you have that refreshes you or enlivens you or brings life to those two other legs? You know, when we have limited resources, either in time or money or even emotionally, I think the quickest leg to cut is the one that helps take care of ourselves. And um, that may have a hippie aura to it, but one way I think about that contentment in that dance leg is to know that people that are far smarter than I am have talked about how critically important it is for them to have that time, a sacred time or a sacred hobby, that kind of nourishes themselves. You know, Condoleezza Rice talked about her time as the Secretary of State and taking golf lessons and playing on the weekends for her friends and how critical that was to her own mental refreshing. And I think it would be easy to become 
uh, used to the idea that there isn't time for myself. There isn't time mm-hmm. to continue to sharpen what I'm able to do. And uh, given the constraints and the distance and the time of that war, uh, being able to take a break from that and say, you know, this might be the new normal that we're always deploying and that we're always busy. And if that's it, I need to find a healthier way to manage this stool because just ignoring this leg for a long period of time, which unfortunately I'm quite guilty of, isn't a healthy way to live. It really isn't. And one thing we know from research and from common sense, that one way to be more effective is to communicate better and uh, to be happier. And I think happiness comes from knowing ourselves and making good choices over a long period of time. Um, So what is it right now that makes you super happy? I know you've got a lot of things to be happy about, but please share them with our listeners. Well, and, and for me, I try and find and chase contentment around rather than happiness because I, I can become unhappy rather quickly. You know, seeing kids <laughs> leaving chocolate on the paint of my kitchen wall, you know, can make me unhappy. Uh, but to try and find some degree of contentment is to find a healthy idea of am I taking care of myself? And uh, this is a terrible time to be asking me this question. You know, I'm, I think I'm on day 13 of 21 that I'll work in a row. I think I'll work 20 of 21 days here in this upcoming wow. Wow. I think it's the perfect day to ask to send when you're fired <laughs> and, and running on it. Yes. Well, as I look outside at the blue sky and the green grass, I love to play golf. And I'm not a great golfer, but I love sports. Uh, I feel at my best when I've had the opportunity to work out quite a bit uh, and and get out and, and be with the guys and do a few of those things. So as I look at my calendar in the days ahead, I'm trying to find when can I put energy into that because I know that's something that can charge my batteries. Um, I love riding the motorcycle. Uh, I've got a great bike, and I take the kids for little rides around the neighborhood and then get rid of them and exceed speed limits in places I won't tell you where. Um, <laughs> but those some, those things are therapeutic for me. And then I enjoy our family. Um, we've got kind of a fun family. We're, I'm coaching softball. We go to uh, baseball, coach pitch games, and uh, going for an ice cream cone after a, a nice fun win in the evening is fun for us. Well, we've, you know, we all heard it from uh, the lute- good lieutenant colonel that it's important to go out and play. So be thinking to yourself, what are you going to do with a three-legged stool, whether it's a deployment or of, of your life? And uh, please re- remind us one last minute, what were the three different legs? Well, yeah, and I'll quote the source again. You know, this is Satchel Paige's idea as the, uh, the Hall of Fame baseball player and his, his quirky mannerisms and style. Uh, he talked about work, and work for us is complex. It doesn't have to be only the service member balancing his military job or a civilian job. Work might be the stay-at-home mom who's trying to wipe three noses and do the laundry and make dinner and get kids off to vacation Bible school or whatever might be going on. Uh, so the work leg, and we understand that the work leg is always demanding more. The relationship leg, uh, am I having the difficult or challenging conversations that we ought to have to make our relationships as healthy as possible? Um, you know, no one, I've never heard a story of someone on a deathbed who says, you know, I wish I really would have worked more hours. Uh, and then the contentment leg. What are those things that provide a healthy seasoning or balance or refreshing to myself that help give life to the work and relationships that I'm already in? 
Well, that was that's just such good advice. I appreciate you 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 sharing that wonderful Satchel Page quote and all of your wisdom and experience. And I trust that soon you'll have a chance to rest up. But I'm just so appreciative that you came to share your ideas with everybody and all the military families out there. Clearly, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for for joining all of us um, with your with your life-changing stories. Um, and I know that all the fans and listeners will be looking for you more in the future. Everyone, you can find links to him on the Blog Talk Radio link uh, for the three-legged stool of um, deployment resilience. And you can find him on YouTube. Just Google him on YouTube and you'll see him as Lieutenant Colonel Todd Riddle. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in and touch base. Any famous last words, sir? Well, I'm flattered to be your first guest, and I wish you the best with uh, your radio show there, Margarita. Thank you, and thank your wife for uh, taking such um, good care of you and the family. She um, she teaches us a lot by never complaining about your job. I, I think that's a hard thing for many of us to do, so please uh, give her our appreciation as well and Absolutely. your family. Uh, thank you so much. And next month on Touch Base Tuesdays, we'll have Major Sarah McLevy. Um, she is someone who has been in charge of many Yellow Ribbon events. She's an expert with deployment and homecoming, and she started um, a job uh, strategy and job search um, program in the state of Florida for the Guard. This is Dr. Margarita Guri, your Red Shoe Lady, with Touch Base Tuesdays on Red Shoe Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being with us here on Touch Base Tuesdays with Dr. Margarita Guri. To hear more Red Shoe stories, visit RedShoeInstitute.com. Remember to subscribe to Touch Base Tuesdays on iTunes. This podcast is a production of the Red Shoe Institute, powered by PodcastAndRadio.com.